Hi and welcome to Leitrim Daily. My name is Brefney Early and today you are listening to A Current Affair. It's episode 163 of the podcast and it's The Current Affairs Show, so there's really only one thing that we're going to be talking about for the next half hour, and that is the general election. Apologies to anyone who's not into politics for the next two or three editions of this show, because it's probably all we're going to be talking about. We're going to have some of the candidates on in the coming weeks ahead of the polling day, which now has been set by Taoiseach Leo Varadkar for the 8th of February. Today, I am joined by someone who knows the world of politics locally, all too well. He's been involved either as a sitting senator, councillor, as well as a candidate in numerous elections over the last period of years. Not just himself, but his entire family are steeped in Leitrim politics. That is Senator, former Senator Pascal Mooney. Pascal, very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pity we're not in America where they still retain their titles. Really? So you keep that... Yeah, well, you know what they talked about, like Joe Biden is referred to always as Vice President Biden. Hillary Clinton is still referred to, I think, as Secretary of State Clinton. It's a nice touch. But we, we haven't really embraced that here, but we're probably a little bit more humble than the Americans in that regard, and uh, I, do, I have no objections. We're definitely further up the humble charts ah, yeah, than the I Americans. So, yeah, yeah. so would you like to still be Senator Pascal Mooney? No, I'm, I'm happy with, uh, with the, the uh, contribution that I made. I mean, I spent in total nearly 27 years in the Senate, and I was talking, actually, it's rather interesting, with Frank Feehan last week, who I served in the Senate with, and he, we were talking about this, and he, he said it's be very rare into the future that anybody would spend that amount of time in the Senate because of the volatility of the electorate, the changing nature of it. So no, no, I don't. I, I would have liked to have maybe had another run after the last election, but I mean, time moves on and it became apparent to me that there was a whole new electorate out there and I was being kind of asked a question, how long are you there now? Which had an inference was that maybe you should step aside. So no, I'm glad. Obviously, as well, in terms of locally, you served on Leitrim County Council. I did, for and I had the honour of being chairman uh, in, in that term. And uh, in fact, the, the iconic year of 1994, uh, where, where not only did Leitrim win the Connacht title, but also the you first won ever... the Eurovision as well. Yeah, and the Eurovision, and also the, the first major manufacturing industry in the county uh, started that year, Masonite. As was well. that also the year that uh, the Ballinamore by Connell Canal yeah, reopened? Yeah, well, it was a little... Maybe a little before it. Before it, yeah. 92 or 93. Yeah, and I remember being present at that with the Secretary of State and uh, Tisha Cahi and all of the local dignitaries and all that. I remember that particular day, all right. Yeah, it was very... It was in the Sleeve Russell, the uh, the uh, a big announcement of it. Um, he arrived, Peter Brook, whom I got to know quite well afterwards as a member of the British-Irish parliamentary body, and we still exchange Christmas cards. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, nice man. Let's get back into the actual election for a minute. Because I think um, we're going to talk a little bit later maybe about some of your personal interests and stuff. I know we, we share, an, uh, as well as a love of Leitrim GA, we also share a love of uh, a bit of Sligo Rovers. Indeed, the bit of red. Yeah, yeah. and we, uh, we we frequent the showgrounds every, every two weeks during the football season. But we're going to talk about politics, which is your other love at the moment. And obviously, you come from a family steeped in that. Your, your dad was a, a member of Leitrim County Council. And for, a senator. It's family tradition at this stage. In terms of the election, all called very quickly. People probably caught a little bit unawares. People were expecting it maybe April, May. They knew it was coming, but were they expecting it this early in the year? I think that the um, the, the momentum was building, uh, particularly once that the Tories won in, in the UK. The main stumbling block, as you know, had been Brexit. And um, in fairness to all the political parties and none in Leicester House, 
they had worn the green jersey in relation to that and they weren't going to provide or contribute to an unstable political environment in Ireland while the Brexit situation was still uncertain. But once that was out of the way and once it became apparent that the 31st of January was going to be the withdrawal date, there was very little else uh, that was going to keep them in government. I mean, the general media uh, feeling uh, and the reportage was, as listeners will know, uh, that this government had outlived its usefulness. Not so much the government, but that the doll had outlived its usefulness. And I was amazed to discover only yesterday, do you know how many bills were left sitting? 320 bills had been had failed to pass over the last four years of this government, primarily because under the protocols that exist, uh, the government has to send what's called a money message to the doll. In other words, that they will finance the particular piece of legislation that's been proposed. So what was happening was that all of these bills are being proposed either by the government or mainly by the opposition parties and the independents was going into second stage, which was the first stage is the publication of the bill. The second stage is the reading of the bill. And it's one of five stages. Uh, don't want to get too technical, but it stalled not only at second stage, it then went to committee and there it stalled. But 320 bills, so that couldn't be sustained. So obviously Varadkar also was looking at, or the Taoiseach, I should respectfully address him, um, because one should always have respect for the office irrespective of political affiliations. Um, the, the Taoiseach obviously saw the opinion polls. He was being pressed by his party. What was the point of staying on? Um, it became apparent as well that the opposition were going to table a vote of no confidence in Simon Harris and John McGuinness, who <laughs> I've known John decades, but he's a maverick. I mean, he just is. He's his own man. And he had already signalled that he wasn't going to support or abstain, as Fianna Fáil had been doing, on votes of confidence to keep the government in office. Uh, so it became apparent that the numbers didn't add up. And in, ultimately, Breffney, in all politics and in this election, it's going to be about numbers. The numbers just didn't add up, and he was left with no choice but to call the election. So this really is a case of jumping before you're pushed? This whole I election. would say absolutely you've got it spot on. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. He he would have been pushed and he would have found himself in the embarrassing situation of his government losing a no-confidence motion. Now, what happens when a no-confidence motion is tabled and is lost by the government of the day, uh, the government falls. It just, it's gone. Uh, its mandate is ended. Its authority is, is completely eliminated. So you're right. He, he went before he was pushed and he decided that this was the best time to go. Now, I have to say that Bertie Ahern always was of the view that the best time to have a general election was when the evenings were long, the birds were singing and the sun was out because people felt good. So it'll be interesting to see the public reaction to this. I think it's been offset to some degree by the fact he's holding it on a Saturday, which will help uh, to some degree. But at the same time, it will very much depend on the mood of the people going into uh, what is essentially a winter election with all of the problems that's facing the government. Let's talk about a couple of the issues before we get into the nitty-gritty of mm -hmm. some of the candidates. Uh, the two things I want to talk to you specifically, specifically about are the whole area of posters, because I know I'm from Leitrim Village and recently the Tidy Towns Committee got together and, and have asked the candidates not to post for Leitrim Village and that, to be fair to the candidates, has been agreed. I know it's not the only town in the in the county. I think um, Drumkeer and, and two or three others have also um, made the same request of candidates not to poster. What's your own view on that? On the postering at this day and age, in an age of social media, of rapid communications, instant communications, it's 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 a... It's a prehistoric concept that has grown up as a traditional Ireland. In fact, there was a comment made about the British general election that one of the 
uh, comments was made that there were no postering across all of England, Scotland, Wales, no postering. And I think the same should happen here. I, I know that the Green Party, for example, Eamon Ryan said he's recycling for the third time, but why bother? And if you looked at the posters going up in Dublin as well, I mean, why bother? Now, there was one exception to this going back a few years, but we're going back, I'm talking about now, the now, the here and now. But Patricia McKenna, the former Green MEP, the view at the time she got elected, she came literally from nowhere, was the poster, to put out a very, very strong poster of her uh, that, that conveyed sort of strength and authority and to put it all over Dublin. So you had people in their cars going home, looking at this everywhere, and they reckoned that that helped. But that was then. I mean, that was way back. Today, I don't think we should bother with posters at all. And you're absolutely right. We're in a very interesting environmental cycle right now where people are more aware of climate change, more aware of the damage that the, that's been done to the environment than they ever were before in their lives. And they want to do something about it. And they're being urged on a lot by, their, by the younger generation. So I would say if you asked young people, say students second level, what do they think of postering? I see unanimously they say they should be stopped. And I, I think it's a waste of time. And it's particularly for independent candidates. They might think that they need to have a poster because they're not as well known as the big parties. But quite frankly, I don't think I think most people's eyes glaze over now at posters. And I think it is it's a waste of money. Absolutely. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I've supported the, the initiative at Home in Eaton Village mm. and maybe mm. some more communities mm. might even decide to do something mm. similar. In terms of the second issue I want to talk about, and we talked about it briefly before we started recording, it was brought to my attention yesterday by Paddy O'Rourke, uh, one of your um, mm -hmm. Finfall, I suppose, colleagues. Great guy, Paddy. Um, for a candidate himself in the last election was very unlucky to miss out mm -hmm. uh, towards the end of the of the, the count. He, he brought to my attention an issue about registration. And can you explain to me exactly what this is? Well, what the electoral register is revised every year. And the, it's in two cycles. One is what's called the draft register. And the draft register is published, I think, around December. And then the, the, the completed full uh, authoritative register comes into force legally on the 15th of February. So what's happening now as a result of the Taoiseach calling the election for the 7th of February... 8th of February. Is it the 8th? 8th, Saturday the 8th. Is it Saturday the 8th? Yeah. Okay. It's, so still, it's still prior to the, the 15th. 8th, yeah. The 8th of February. It's ahead of the 15th, which means that anybody who was on the draft register since last February uh, will not be able to vote unless they apply to go on the supplementary register. And the closing date for applications for that is the 21st of January. Which is next Tuesday. Yeah. Now, um, in relation to your question directly... What it means is that the register that will be used for the 8th of February general election 2020 will be based on those whose names are on the register on the 15th of February 2019, in other words, last year. So any people, any, any younger voters particularly, or those who have moved uh, that were put on the register by the local authorities or by their own application, unless that they apply to go on the supplementary register, they will not be able to vote in the general election. However, from my experience, all political parties and most and all candidates, one of the things because of the introduction of the, of the supplementary register some years ago, they are very aware that there are people out there who are not on the register. And in fact, if I remember, I think going back to the 2007, I can't remember the last ones, but several hundred people were added to the, the supplementary register between the announcement of the general election and the general election itself. So you can rest assured that all of the candidates, when they're knocking on doors, 
the first, the second question they'll ask after saying, will you vote for me, is are you on the register? And they will have copies of the, reg the existing register with them. And if they say, well, I have, you know, an 18-year-old or 19-year-old or 20-year-old, or I just moved, they will check the existing register and say, you're not on it. However, do you want to vote? Yes. Well, then we'll get you an application form, sign it, and, and get it down to the Garda. Now, the only thing I'll say, is this actually falls into our house because my nephew turned 18 in March mm -hmm. last year. Now, he had a vote in the local elections in yes. May. So will the form he filled in for that still stand for this? No, that's, that's the point. I, 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 don't think, I don't think it will. Um, it raises an interesting question. Well, he had to was go on, back on the he was on. He was put on the supplementary register. I don't know the specifics, but I know he did fill well, in a form yeah, and submit well, it. What I don't know is whether the supplementary register was incorporated into the general register. But my impression is that it's not, it wasn't. That, and the impression I have, and, and obviously this needs to be confirmed, is that um, it's the register of the 15th of February of last year. Uh, that's going to be used in the general election because those that are on what's called the draft register, if he was on the draft register, uh, he won't be, he won't be able to vote. Okay, so he needs to check himself, or maybe would, yeah, with a, with a local check, council yeah, or yeah, a local yeah. candidate will be able to tell him yes, very quickly yes, yes. Uh, whether he has a vote or not. Yeah, well, but, you can check with Leitrim County Council, of course. Uh, but there are well, his, his situation. He's back from college tonight. Leitrim County Council won't be open until he's back in Galway, so mm. he can't really check with Leitrim County Council. So it's it's that kind of and a lot of I'm talking about our specific situation, but a lot of families will be in that situation mm. where a child turned. 18 in the last 12 months and may or may not be on the register. So basically the advice is check. Yes. Absolutely. Let's move on to some of the candidates because that's why people are listening to the show today, although those two issues are, are quite important. Um, we might take a quick... Well, what is important, and it's right, and you should continue to emphasise it, mm. make sure that you're on the supplementary register before the closing date of the 21st of January. Which is Tuesday. So yes. if you're listening to this and yeah. it comes out on Saturday, you only have three days yeah. to get that contact. Any of the any of the um, the candidates or the candidates' Just teams will be able forms. to help you. They'll have forms, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I know there was candidates gave Matthew yes. the form yes. last time around. Yes. We have a huge field of candidates in this constituency. Now... Before we talk about predictions and about expectations, we might just take a quick rundown through each of the candidates. And you would know most of these people mm. fairly well from mm. uh, working with them on Leitrim County mm. Council or, or other avenues within Leitrim, but also uh, your work with Ocean. You would sure. you would come across them on a weekly basis mm. in the show on your shows. Um, let's talk about. We'll go through them in alphabetical order. I think is probably the fairest way. Um, and we have 14 declared candidates at the moment. We do expect a 15th, possibly. So we're going to put his name in this. He was announced in the paper as having declared. That we're not quite 100% sure whether well, that's happened. My information from from um, our headman in Ocean FM in news, Niall Delaney, as of the last few hours, we're doing this, as you know, ahead of Saturday. We're doing this Friday evening, yeah. Uh, which, by the way, it probably will have been clarified by the time this transmission goes out is that Declan Bree was consulting with his uh, supporters uh, and we were, as a station, unable to make contact with him to confirm one way or the other, but the ind indications are that he will run. Okay, so we'll put him, his name in the hat for mm -hmm. now at least. Uh, Declan Bree is the first name up. Um, what's what's his, his history, his background? He's a previous Former TD, of TD, course. Um, does, uh, a division, he, he left the Labour Party. He was seen as being on the sort of the left of the Labour Party. Um, fell out with them politically, as happens and continues to happen. Um, but an excellent public representative, very high profile, 
um, but sadly had only one term TD as a TD would have suffered to some degree, I suppose, from the, the re reduction in the Labour vote or the left-wing vote. Um, has continued to ably represent people in, in Sligo, has done exceptionally well in local elections and would have a strong base in Sligo itself. The problem for Declan has been to break out of that local base uh, into the wider constituency. But considering the number of candidates that are out there, this is going to be a transfer election in Sligo Leitrim. Nessa Cosgrove, Labour, next up. Um, my understanding is that uh, Nessa is very able, um, is, is not a public representative, but stood in the local elections in Sligo, did very well, uh, would probably be seen as one of the um, women most likely uh, to succeed within the Labour Party, uh, building for the future. Uh, there was always a traditional Labour vote in Sligo, but it's been diluted to some degree by the emergence of the left, Declan Bree, uh, and the Labour vote would have been eroded to some degree. So I think that Nessa will be building for the future. Of course, the next name up uh, needs no introduction in Leitrim politics, Ellis. Shane Ellis, son of John, former TD and Senator. Yes. Uh, he is running uh, for Fianna Fáil in, I suppose, the Leitrim mm. region. Bit of a conundrum, in a sense, in that traditionally um, candidates who run for the major parties, I'm not saying independents and others, but those who run for the major parties, say Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Labour, Sinn Féin, Greens, tend to emerge from creating a local base uh, through local elections by being elected to the local council and building from there. Shane, unfortunately, suffers, and he's a lovely guy and, and very able, suffers from that handicap, in my opinion, politically speaking, in that he doesn't have a base, an electoral base. Now, his father, a, a superb constituency TD, in fact, there were some questions raised as to why he didn't throw his hat in the ring himself once Paddy O'Rourke withdrew, but... I, I haven't discussed it with him, and he has his own reasons, I'm sure, for doing that, for making that decision. So Shane is going to struggle outside of his local base, a little like Nessa Cosgrove, in that I would think traditionally Leitrim will try and vote what it can uh, to support Leitrim candidates, but it doesn't always happen that way. And we'll be talking about that a little later on in relation to, say, Frank Feehan. Um, so I think that Shane is going to have a difficult election um, and it will be a question of whether he can survive the earlier counts. Now, there are three or four candidates running in Leitrim that will, be, that will get less votes than him. So he may build a transfer on that, and as often happened. They used to say, and this is going back to some people that might remember, I was only a child, but Stephen Flynn was a TD for Leitrim for 30 years. And if you looked at the figures that Stephen Flynn had right down the decades... He got something like maybe a third of a quota to start with. But all of a sudden, the transfer started pouring in as each count went on. So I would think that that's possibly what the strategy is with, with Shane's people, is that he can get maybe a reasonably good first preference vote and then build on that. Next one up, you mentioned already, Frank Feehan, Fine Gael, former yeah, senator. Frank, Frank is, an interesting, um, is an interesting assessment of his prospects. He would argue that when he was elected a TD, that it was primarily a big vote that he got in South Leitrim. It was then the old Roscommon South Leitrim constituency. He pulled something like two and a half or 3,000 votes out of it, mainly motivated by the then councillor, Damien Brennan out of Clune, who was effectively the director of elections for Fine Gael in Leitrim, a superb organiser, absolutely outstanding organiser. And they, they, they got out the vote 
and uh, Frank uh, opened an office in Ballinamore during his time as a TD, uh, sorry, high profile, and then, of course, lost out primarily, I think, over the hospital issue in Roscommon. Uh, the positives for him is that he would be hoping that he would pull that same vote, Fine Gael vote, because of the absence of a Leitrim-based Fine Gael candidate and that he would see himself coming across the river, as it were, across the border, based on his past experience. He also would hope that the fact that he's been living in Sligo for several years uh, and that he has been profiling politically uh, and, and that the Fine Gael vote is there, that he would be a stronger name than Thomas Walsh who is the other candidate we'll be talking about later for Fine Gael. So Frank would see his prospects as being pretty good, and I would agree. I think that he would be the stronger of the Fine Gael candidates because he would have that history, I've explained. Um, the downside for him is that he wouldn't be as widely known in Sligo, despite having lived there, uh, as he would be in, say, South Leitrim. He wouldn't be as well known in North Leitrim. Uh, and his base in North Roscommon has been cut considerably from what it was, even though it's effectively the Boyle electoral area. The total number of votes out of there would be, I'm not sure what the exact figures are, but it would be the order of maybe 1,000, 1,500 that he would be hoping to get, because remember, you're going to have all the other parties that are dipping into North Roscommon, and it's primarily rural. Uh, so based on that, I would still put him ahead of Thomas Walsh. Uh, in the pecking order. So maybe if he does survive above Thomas Walsh, we'll get to later on as well, uh, transfers may carry him towards that quota. That's what I would hope. I mean, you've got to consider this, and we'll be talking about it later. There is a, there, there's, there's more than a quota. There's a quota and a third for Fiddy Gale in the constituency. Okay. Blohine Gallagher running uh, for the Greens. It's her first general election campaign. She did run in the local elections, and yeah. obviously as well has been on the show as the editor of the Leitrim Guardian. She made her name, uh, insofar as one could say, uh, by running in the local elections. Um, she does have a profile in that regard. Uh, it will depend. In fact, we were, I was just discussing this in my own head. Will there be a green surge? And will the green surge be sufficient to get people to vote for her because she's a green candidate rather than because of her own qualities? Uh, and I think that she's starting from a very, very low base. She's also going to suffer from the woman we'll be talking about a little later on, Marion Harkins' involvement in the election, particularly out of North Leitrim, I think is going to flatten all those other candidates around her. In terms of the Greens, just to kind of probe that a little bit further, um, they are a very low base in the county as well. So there could be a rise that still wouldn't really I don't shake see the Richter scale. I, I, don't, I see her, uh, unfortunately, and who's to know? I mean, we're only just expressing opinions here. Um, I would see her as being among a group of early eliminators. Okay. Moving on, moving on, you've mentioned her once or twice already. Marion Harkin has thrown her hat in the ring. Former MEP, former TD. She's been around a while, um, but she's hugely experienced politician and she kind of crosses that Sligo-Leitrim divide, having lived both sides of the border at various stages in her life. It's like a political grenade has been thrown into this race. It has, in fact, it has upset all of the other predictions. It has now made it a wide open field, and we'll be talking perhaps laterally about how this will shake out in the end, seat-wise. I would say Marion is a bit of a political enigma at this stage, if I could use that expression. Why? Because you pointed out she was in, this, in, in the Dáil and, and the European Parliament. She announced her retirement last year. Uh, she then flirted with Fine Gael, or should I say Fine Gael flirted with her. 
Um, and it would be generally... And we've all flirted, though. It doesn't mean there's anything coming back. Of course, but it, all generally, it would be generally accepted that Marion's background would be a Fine Gael background, even though, in fairness to her, she always put herself forward as an independent and was a very good, a superb public representative, um, massive experience, both for the Dáil and in the European Parliament. But she retired. And there is now, I'm not going to say, after the initial... Uh, reaction to her entering the race was, oh, she's going to walk us. There is now a more sober view that she's going to be in a dogfight with all the other candidates, that it's not going to be as much of a given. But when we come to that point as to who, how it will shake out, Marion Harkin is a very strong, formidable candidate who is most definitely going to be among those four. I think she's going to get that women vote as well in a big way. Yeah, but well, I'm not so sure. I mean, there are several other women candidates that are involved in this. I'm not sure she's going to have a monopoly on a women's vote per se, because there are other women candidates there. And I mentioned earlier about Nies Cosgrave and um, Dr. Gallagher, uh, Bernie O'Hara um, and others that are involved. So uh, I'm not sure she'll have a monopoly on that. Where I think that she's going to have her strengths is that, and, and I'm going back to my own experience in the European elections, I mean, she effectively destroyed me in Leitrim. I mean, she just got, but admittedly, she was an outgoing MEP and she had built up a massive base. So she has her foot in two camps and that she has the Manor Hamilton experience and coming from Sligo and the fact that she is a proven vote getter. Uh, so she has really muddied the waters to a large extent. And I'd say both of the major parties are kind of, I'm not saying shivering at the prospect of having to face her, but are, are revising their conclusions uh, once that she entered the race as to how it's going to end up. Now, the next two names on my list, I'm going to merge into one, and there's a breaking news story as to why that is the case. Martin Kenny and Chris McManus of Sinn Féin is no longer Martin Kenny and Chris McManus. Chris, Ma- Chris, Chris McManus has withdrawn from the election, uh, which leaves just Martin Kennedy on the Sinn Féin ticket. I think it's a very big gamble by Sinn Féin. We don't quite know where Sinn Féin stands with the electorate right now going into this election. Admittedly, they got a boost from winning the by-election in Dublin. But when you when you whittle it down, um, it was Owen O'Brien's organisation and Owen O'Brien, the sitting Sinn Féin TD in the Dublin Southwest constituency, this it got out the vote and it was a by-election. And if you looked at the actual turnout, it was abysmal. It was less than 30%. And it's most unlikely that Sinn Féin are going to hold two seats in that constituency. The chances are Fine Gael will get back the Francis Fitzgerald seat. So that's the context in which Sinn Féin are saying this is going to be a great election for us. But you've got to you only go back six months. They lost nearly half their councillors. It was nearly it was, it was a disastrous election for them at local. They lost two of their MEPs. And I also believe that there, there are political cycles where... If the economy is doing badly or where it's questionable and people are angry and where they are out of work, particularly if they're out of work, I think they're more inclined to lean towards left-wing parties, the parties of protest. Sinn Féin are not a proven party in the south of Ireland government and there are those who will argue that they should be put into government in order to, let's see how they get on. Uh, There would be that view. Uh, and I'm not going to go into the details of why the political part, the major political parties won't, won't serve in government with them. That's a, a separate issue. Uh, but we're talking here about electoral, electoral prospects. I just feel that Sinn Féin are going to have, let's say, put another way, a negative. They're not going to have an easy election. 
they have 23 seats, but they've lost uh, Tobin and Mead, and they've lost Jonathan Swift and Cork. They've also have difficulties in a number of other constituencies. Uh, they lost another another TD, I think, in the Midlands. Uh, so they have to hold on to what they have in order to be a credible uh, prospect for sharing government. And I think it's going to be, I'm not going to say a difficult election for them, but I don't know what the mood of the people is going to be towards Sinn Féin. So to be more specific about Leitrim, you have to base it on the figures that are out there. I think it's a big gamble for them just running one candidate. Let's talk about Martin Kenny first. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to the... the, the, But I'm just saying that that's what I'm suggesting. This is going to be a difficult election for Martin Kenny. And I think in fairness to Martin, he'd be the first to admit it. And I think it's a gamble by not having a feeder vote out of Sligo. Remember, this is geographically a huge constituency. It's not just Sligo Leitrim. It's South Donegal and it's North Roscommon. And they got 10,500 votes collectively the last time, Chris and Martin, and he got elected. But that was 2,500 short of the quota. So, to just further the argument, let's say he gets the 10,500. And the fact that Marion Harkin is running in Leitrim, pulling votes from him and everybody else in Leitrim, Maybe he won't get 10 and a half, maybe he will. But see, he does, that he maximises that vote. He's got to increase it. Because you could end up, as John Ellis ended up in an early election, get, topping the poll and failing to get elected. Because he didn't get the transfers out of Sligo. Sinn Féin wouldn't be traditionally a very transfer-friendly party. That's the, the other point, is a well-made point, Breffney, is that they're not a transfer-friendly party. Uh, and there's going to be, I think, a very interesting scenario developing when the count comes in uh, Martin could do exceptionally will do I think he will do exceptionally well on the first count the question is going to be what's going to happen afterwards okay. and, and I think that's a question mark we'll have to leave hanging in the air we're going to talk about all the kind of permutations later on in the program but let's continue with the profiles of some of the the, the candidates and we're halfway through the list at this stage uh, by the way can I just say about Martin he's been an excellent constituency TD and the profile that he has obviously is going to be a big help to him Mark McSharry, another front bench spokesman uh, for one of the major parties, potential ministerial position should Micheál Martin and Fianna Fáil be the major party in, at the end of this and form a government. It's hard to see, like he obviously he barely needs an introduction at this stage, son of Ray, um, himself a former minister. Mark, what's your thoughts? There's one definite field of all seats. Let's cut to the chase in the context of your question. And I believe that seat will be Mark McSharry's. I think everything you've said is going to be a major contributory factor Um, and also where he's going to, I think, benefit hugely will be from the number of Sligo-based candidates that are out there that will offset any threat that might be coming from Marion Harkin and Martin Kenny and Frank Fian coming out of this end of the constituency and that uh, even on a worse day. And you've got to keep in mind as well, what will the mood of the people be on the day they're voting about the government of the day uh, a rather interesting development over the last week has been the media nationally are, are referring to the issues that are facing people on the doorsteps. And one of them they're saying is Brexit. But my information over the last few days, and I'm talking about speaking last night, for example, when we were in Dublin at the GAA night, I met several um, Fine Fáil and Fine Gael and Sinn Féin people uh, who are canvassing currently in Dublin and said Brexit wasn't even mentioned. And the same, um, we had John Paul Feely, the, that fine councillor from West Cavan, uh, on with Niall Delaney and Ocean FM on um, Friday morning. 
and he more or less said that even though he's a border uh, councillor and that Brexit is so important to people that it wasn't an issue on the doorsteps. So that's one of the things that I think is going to be um, the developing issue. There's got to be an issue. There's no issue yet. There's going to be an issue coming up and as to what that issue will be. So what the issue will be could either benefit Fine Gael or be detrimental to them. But one way or the other, I think that McSharry has done a sufficient amount of groundwork, the high profile that he has, the fact that he is a prospective minister because he's sitting in a very, very important portfolio. Your listeners mightn't be aware, but he actually marks Shane Ross in sport, transport, communications, whatever. Um, and um, he's he would have built a solid base in Sligo Town, which has always been problematical. Even Ray would tell you that because Sligo is seen as a, a dumping ground for every candidate, I mean that in the context that every candidate dumps into Sligo and pulls votes out of it, whereas in the rural parts, it's much more tribal um, and they're much more locally oriented. Moving on from Mark McSharry, there's one name that I have never heard of before in terms of politics. And in fact, as someone from the area, Carrick and Shannon, it's a name I'm not familiar with myself. Uh, Paul McQueenie of the National Party. Um, I wasn't even aware we had a National Party. What's, what's Yeah, they're a very conservative sort of right-wingish party. Uh, uh, don't know an awful lot about them. And unfortunately, I know absolutely nothing about Paul McQueenie, so I can't offer any contribution. Yeah, I tried doing research. I actually couldn't find much um, when I went doing research. We would, I suppose, welcome if someone wants to let us know a bit more about him. Please let us know. But um, yeah, well, I'm sure being a candidate, he he, will he, be, he's going to be in touch. He'll be, he'll be in touch. Yeah. Uh, Gino O'Boyle, someone I know from the Sligo Rovers supporter and, and very involved in, in junior soccer in the region. Um, current mayor of Sligo, he's people before profit, and he is, I suppose, um, he's put his name forward for an election this year. What what's the story with Gino? Very good public representative. Uh, would have a family tradition. I think his father was a former councillor and uh, uh, very empathises with, with people. But I have a question mark about the future of the hard left, as I would call them. And I'm, I don't mean that disrespectfully. They're, they're, they're very much left of Labour. They're very much left of the Greens. So they're more hard left in terms of their policies. Uh, and I'm not sure that the electorate are going to uh, embrace that particular ideology in this election. Also, we have from Carrick and Shannon, Bernie O'Hara is running. Um, I'm not that familiar with Bernie. She did run the She's last a election. Woman. Yeah. And she ran in the, the local elections. Again, I would, with respect, say that she will struggle and will be among that bunch of candidates that will be eliminated early in the count. Okay. But, but their transfers could have a significance. But they could go anywhere based on geography or yes. based on politics. Yeah. Um, John Perry, another name very well familiar to long-term voters in, in the constituency? Well, John has had his troubles, and uh, the view locally would be mixed. Uh, on one hand, there would be people who would have sympathy for him. On the other hand, there are those that feel that he, during his time in government, I mean, he was minister for jobs, a junior minister in the constituency, um, lost out um, when he was Fine Gael. Um, I think that Eamon Scanlon is going to be a much stronger candidate in South Sligo, but don't um, ignore the tradition in South Sligo has been very tribal voting. They've voted sort of one, two, irrespective of party for their own people. And I still think, though, that Eamon will be ahead of them. We're also looking at those next two people are both in that region, and that's Eamon Scanlon, you've mentioned, sitting TD. You'd have to fancy his chances of keeping that seat. I do, uh, by instinct, because uh, Eamon, 
Eamon is going to be very transfer friendly and it proved it in the last election where he was able to stay ahead of Jerry Reynolds. I mean, the received wisdom from the Fine Gael camp, because I was covering the count for Ocean at the time, was that Jerry was going to take the seat. But when I looked at the figures uh, and saw that the remaining candidates were coming out of Sligo, it was, there was a sense of deja vu. This had happened with Ray McSharry, who had conceded defeat one time, famously. And yes, it was Sligo-based candidates that were left in the race, not Leitrim-based, and he won the seat. And the same thing, I believe, is going to happen the next time, and that Eamon is going to be picking up fifths and sixths and sevenths and eighths, and if he has enough of a first-count vote, which I think he will have because he's been sort of promoting himself in the newer part of the constituency in North Roscommon, he'd be the nearest Fianna Fáil candidate, nearer than Mark, and I think that he will get more votes for the Fianna Fáil votes out of North Roscommon than Mark will. Mark might be looking more at South Donegal. So I think Eamon is very strong. Thomas Walsh, uh, a former parliamentary assistant to John Perry, so the master and the apprentice up against each other. Uh, there seems to be a, a, a strange force at play. I know um, John, former Fine Gael, no longer with Fine Gael. It's been well documented over the years. Those kind of discussions, shall we call them. Uh, what's going to happen with Thomas? Are, are you familiar with Yeah, Thomas? Thomas, I've known Thomas and I knew him during his time with John Perry and he's a fine fellow and a very good public representative. He's also out there profiling very, very highly. In fact, a, a little funny anecdote is that um, my daughter Marie and myself went out to see Sligo player Roscommon in the um, first round of the FBD, just out of curiosity. This was ahead of the Leeds from football. Definitely the only reason you're going out of curiosity, yeah. <laughs> and halfway through the match, who turns up? Only Frank Fian. And he said, did you see Thomas Walsh? And I said, I did actually, I think. So, oh, he says, he's here, he says, because he put it up on Facebook. Of course, Frank was at home. He lives down the road in Markovic, uh, from Markovic's Park. Saw that Walsh was up on the grounds and decided he had to be there as well. So uh, there was a real dogfight going on between the pair of them. But I think that um, Frank's profile is much higher, as we explained earlier. Thomas Walsh has only been newly elected. And I appreciate the point that he worked for John Perry and that the electorate that were dealing with John Perry on issues would be familiar with Thomas. But I think that it's, his time is too soon. I think that of the two Fianna Fine Gael candidates, I think that Frank will be a stronger uh, vote getter than Thomas. Now we've gone through the candidates and we've talked about the circumstances. Mm. Putting your neck on the block, how do you see this election going? My my heart tells me and my instinct tells me that Fianna Fáil will win two seats. I better say just for for balance that you are a Fianna Fáil affiliated for those that are yeah, familiar but with be, that. I I would try to be as objective as I can. I mean, I've been I've been doing political analysis all during that time, and I don't think anybody has ever sort of come on and say, "Oh, you're being partisan, you're being biased, you're being whatever." What's the point? I mean, you're talking to a listening audience out there that hopefully are trying to be informed about what's going on. So why would you skew it? Why would you be biased about it? Uh, and I'm not. Um, I, I'm trying to be as objective as possible. But this is only a theory. This is only an opinion. But it has to be based on certain uh, statistics, let's say. Um, my instinct tells me that Fianna Fáil will win two seats on the basis that um, the government are not universally popular, let's say, and they are aware of that themselves and they need to be out there fighting, and they are, uh, on the issues. So, but, but to, be, to be objective about it, there's one definite Fianna Fáil seat, and I'm inclined to think that that seat would go to Mark McSharry on the basis that he would be, as we discussed earlier, front page spokesman, potential minister. Sligo has always wanted to have a minister. Sligo, not necessarily just 
Sligo, but the entire constituency, and they would benefit uh, from it. I mean, you can see the great work that Michael Ring has done, even though he's in Mayo, but he's only down the road, and he has been very, he's very aware of rural Ireland and of its needs. Um, Heather Humphreys, the Enterprise Minister in Monaghan, the same, very aware of, of rural needs. So um, in that context, uh, I would see that um, Eamon would be very aware as well. He, he, he works away very hard at, under the radar, whereas Mark would be more of the higher profile. But I've never written off Eamon Scanlon and approved it the last time. He's going to get transfers right down the line. And with the huge number of candidates that are based in Sligo, I would be inclined to give him the seat. But let's just be objective and say one definite Fianna Fáil. Marion Harkin, irrespective of what we've been saying, because of everything we've discussed, will be elected, in my opinion. That's two. And then after that, you're looking at there has to be a Fine Gael seat. There has to be, even though people will be writing them off. Why? 16,500 votes they got the last time. The quota was 12,500. They have a quota and a third. Uh, I can't see that disappearing. And there will be a certain John Perry factor as well, in that I'm not necessarily giving writing off John, but I don't think, I think he's going to struggle in the later counts. Um, and a lot of that vote may traditionally go back to Fine Gael. Now it may go to Thomas Walsh. But I still think Frank Fian, because of all we discussed about his connections north of Scammon, South Leitrim, um, and out of Sligo, I think that he will be ahead of Thomas Walsh, and I think that he may be the person that will take that Fine Gael seat. But you then have um, the Martin Kenny factor. Uh, what happens after that? Um, in that, um, if you give Frank the seat, there's no Martin Kenny. But I don't believe that will happen. I think there's going to be a dogfight for the fourth seat. Um, and that, and but there, I could be all wrong. It could be just the one fee and a fall, and you could have Eamon Scanlon involved in the mix. In fact, most of the people I've been speaking to who are looking at this in some detail since Marion Harkin entered is that there's one definite fee and a fall seat, and there's Marion Harkin, and then after that, it's Bob's your uncle. I mean, you're going to have a big fight, and nobody is predicting who the other two seats are going to go to, and I will have to leave it on that basis that I'm not sure either. What dogs are in the fight, let's say? So we're, we're saying oh, that... Oh, yeah. Potentially, That's easy to know. Potentially you're talking about Eamon Scanlon, Martin Kenny, John Perry, perhaps. Will Declan Bree be in that? Shake no, up? I don't think so. What about Thomas Walsh? No, I think that Frank will be ahead of Thomas. What you'll have fighting for that seat will be a Fine Gael seat, which I'm sticking my neck out and suggesting that Frank would have a higher profile and that Fine Gael people, because of the fact he's a former TD and has been a sitting senator, has been out there profiling, getting around. I mean, he goes to everything. Uh, that that's got to bound to resonate with Fine Gael voters. And with 16,000 votes from the last election, when they actually effectively lost the election, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't do well. They lost a lot of seats. I, I can't see that there would be that much damage done to Fine Gael in, in Sligo Leitrim to the extent where they're not going to get a seat even though people were saying at the outset, oh no, the Fine Gael could be in trouble because of all the difficulties about nominations and about all the putative candidates that pulled out and that were left with what they've got now. I still think that there will be a Fine Gael seat and that it will be Frank. I'm just sticking my neck out and suggesting it'll be Frank. With no disrespect to Thomas Walsh, I just think his time hasn't come. I think it's a bit too soon. But you never know. There's always surprises in Breffany in every election. Well, I suppose just one of the things I want to talk about and just finish up from a Leitrim point of view, obviously we have one sitting TD, Martin mm. Kenny. Mm. From what you're saying, his position is not, absolutely not nailed on and he's in a dogfight for that last seat in the constituency. Yes, and, and in fact he probably might welcome that, that view. I mean, there's no better way to go into an election than being in trouble. 
Uh, it's far better than going in as being a shoe in. Uh, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that a seat is in danger. I'm just saying on the basis of the figures, on the basis of the introduction of Marion Harkin into the equation in Leitrim, uh, and the fact that he's not going to have anybody else to pull off in the other three parts of the constituency, South Donegal, Sligo and North Roscommon, uh, where Sinn Féin, by the way, are not strong in North Roscommon, traditionally haven't been. Uh, I'm just raising the question as where is his transfers going to come from? Because he's going to need transfers. He's, uh, it's most unlikely he's going to top the poll and be elected. I mean, he could, sorry, he could top the poll, but he could be still short. It's a very high quota. In terms of, and just we'll, we'll wrap up now, but just in terms of those four places, McSherry, Harkin, and potentially you, you seem to be edging slightly towards Scanlon yes. and the Fine Gael seat. Um, will it be a case that Fianna Fáil get that second seat rather than Fine Gael because maybe of the RIC situation at the start of this month? Will the Barrel Namore situation last year, right or wrong, affect Martin Kennedy's chances? And would that be what might come back to bite him? It's very hard to judge what the reaction of people in the Ballinamore area are, but irrespective of the controversies, um, Shane Ellis will, will, will be a problem for Martin Kenny because they're both sitting literally cheek to jowl and there will be a local loyalty to Shane Ellis uh, irrespective of the wider uh, electoral prospects that will, will not help Martin Kenny. Now, there's a view in Sinn Féin that um, he has it wide open because there is... Uh, their view is that there isn't anything strong in Leitrim. Marion Harkin is strong, and she'll be an independent. And who's to know what what was the vote share that Martin got that was Sinn Féin as distinct from Leitrim or distinct from a non-aligned vote? Uh, and as I said earlier, my, my analysis of Sinn Féin's prospects right now nationally would be that they're not as comfortable in this election as they were in the last one because of a whole variety of issues. Remember Bill Clinton's famous cliche, it's the economy stupid. Uh, I'll always remember being taken around Tala in a, in a Senate election by a friend of mine, Charlie O'Connor, uh, who's a sitting councillor there and he's running um, in this election. And he was telling me about how Sinn Féin had lost the seat. And he said, I'll tell you why, because this is, there's jobs here now. So at the end of the day, it's going to be about what's in people's pockets. And... Um, at the same time, I will, I'm not writing off Martin Kenny. And in fact, I said at the outset, he probably will welcome the fact that he's going to be uh, struggling rather than um, a shoe-in. But at the same time, I'm trying to be as objective as possible in that there's two guaranteed seats that we've mentioned. And I won't go beyond that now as things stand unless there's something changes. In terms of the national picture, we'll finish with this. Uh, who do you see as being the next Taoiseach and the makeup of the next government? How do you see that working well, out? Well, it's funny, uh, talking to people in, in, at the GA last night, as I said, both uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin, um, Fianna Fáil are on, on course to gain at least three seats in Dublin, uh, which if they hold on to the ones they've got, that puts them very close to 50. And if Fine Gael are going to be the losers in some seats uh, as based on the by-election results, well, then it would seem that the odds, if you were a bookie, would be on uh, uh, Michal Martin Taoiseach, uh, as distinct from Leo Varadkar, but it's all to play for. Any potential coalition partners you think seen coming oh, in? Oh, absolutely. I think if Fianna Fáil have the numbers, and it'll be about who has the most. If Fianna Fáil have more TDs than Fine Gael, well, then they will be negotiating government with the resurgent Greens, who could get anywhere between six and ten seats. Uh, the Labour Party, who will probably hold on to what they've got, even though 
um, Brendan Howland is saying that he wants to double the number. I'm not sure that will happen for Labour, um, uh, but, but you can't say, but it'll be the Labour Party, the Greens, and if the Social Democrats get back in, who I have to say, somewhat ironically, they were out last night talking about how, oh, they want to be in government ever. What's forgotten now is that they opted out of government negotiations in 2016. They wouldn't even talk to the people that were forming the government, either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. They said they didn't want any part. Now they're saying, oh, oh we want to be in government. We want to. And at the time, the reason that I remember it is that the whole point of being in politics is to effect change. And yet they sat, in, they sat in their hands. And now they're saying, oh, we'll be in government. So, but it's hard to tell. They're two very good constituency TDs. I'm not sure they're going to gain anything as a, as a party. I think the two of them will hold their seats. And beyond that, they could make up some of the numbers as well. Excellent. Wilson Pascal, thanks very much. I Phenomenally in-depth analysis of the entire constituency. I hope it hasn't bored people. No, silly. I, well, I'm, I've been fascinated. somewhat technical at times. But I think some people want to know that information. I think people who've stayed to the end will definitely be uh, appreciative of that. So thank you very much for, for sharing your expertise with us over the last, what's well, nearly turned into an hour. So thank yeah, you I can't say that that's right, though. <laughs> well, it's only an opinion. Time will tell in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. And uh, but the one thing I will finish with is um, a reminder that if there's somebody in your house who's either new to the region new to the area or has turned 18 in the last 12 months do check that register don't be disappointed on the day because if you're not on the register after next tuesday there is no option for you to vote on the day and i will make a further plea to the candidates if any of them are tuned into this i'm sure they don't need reminding but they need to make sure because of this anomaly that has grown up because of the election date they need to make sure that when they are knocking on doors that the people that are in the house have a vote Absolutely. Pascal, thank you very much for joining me. Best of luck, Bradley. That, of course, is A Current Affair for today, uh, episode 163 of the podcast. I'll be back tomorrow with Kiss My Arts, where we're going to be talking to Pascal Gillard of Ginny's about all of their creative art in the kitchen and to Val Robus about a new book for a charity based in Leitrim and Sligo called Having a Laugh. Uh, I'll be back with you tomorrow with that and, of course, back with the sport on Monday. Talk to you then.